Here's where I want to start today. And uh, no, I didn't forget to ask anybody to read. We are still on the same. <laughs> Why y'all laughing? We're on the same couple of verses we've been on for a little bit of time. Uh, we're going to hit a lot of them today. Um, if you look on the screen, I think at the bottom corner, it says we're going to do eight and nine. So two whole verses in about 45 minutes. I think we can handle it. <laughs> Here's what I want you to think I'm going to start with. It's hard to put God's word into practice, especially the stuff that's in our minds. That makes sense. It's hard already to practice the things of the Lord. There's no doubt about it. And so you develop a passion and a love for it. Then it gets a little easier. But that, that thing in the mind that he talks about all the time, our minds that are, that are constantly confronted with ideas, temptations, principles, values, that, that battlefield area that we know Satan tries his best to attack, whether it's through culture, social media, or just, just everything that, that we're thinking on throughout the day and throughout the week and throughout the month and throughout the year. And it's safe to say that what we ponder on, we're going to eventually start practicing. So whatever it is you continue to ponder, you continue to think, you continue to meditate on, those are the things you're eventually going to start practicing, whether you wanted to, desired to or not, they're going to become that thing. Um, you know, ask anybody who's ever, you know, struggled with, with something they, they do that they don't want to do. And they can usually relate it back to it's because they thought about it for a long time. You don't want to be grumpy, but you think grumpy thoughts, you know, you don't want to lust, but you think lustful thoughts. You don't want to be angry yet. You think angry thoughts, you, you know what I'm saying? Like what we think on and what we begin to ponder, we eventually begin to practice. And Henry Ford said this thinking is probably the hardest work there is. And maybe that's why so few engage in doing it. <laughs> Probably true. But the human mind itself, if we were to think about the human mind, it's amazing. I mean, I was just, just thinking this week, like on, on, on the human mind, it's, it's logical at times, logical thought. Uh, it has abstract reasoning. Uh, it begins to, to do analysis and, and analyze different things in different areas. We can have emotions. You know, we talked about emotions last week with, with anxiety and stuff. We can go from joy to, to sorrow. We can go from confidence to, to fear. We can hit every single one of those emotions in the middle of those words all in like the matter of 30 seconds sometimes. Um, you catch somebody at the wrong moment, maybe even faster than that. <laughs> and in thinking about the mind and stuff like that, there was a, a, a smart guy much before us and for myself. And he said, I think, therefore I am. And I was reading about that. You know, that quote just came up while I was looking up some stuff. And I was like, what, what brought up that, that quote? You know, where, where was he was trying to decide if we were real. I think he had watched the Matrix back in the 1800s, even though it didn't exist yet. And, and he was trying to decide, like, how do I determine, like, like, this is a real life? And he said, if I'm thinking, therefore I am. And I don't think that's necessarily false, but I want to add something to it from verses 8 and 9 that I think Paul would have us today. And I think it would be this. The Apostle Paul would have said it this way. I think, therefore I do. I think, therefore I do. Whatever I'm thinking on, eventually I'm going to do. My thought life is attached to the rest of my life. Whatever it is that, that I'm concentrating on is what it's going to bear. So if you have good thoughts, you're going to bear good fruit. If you have bad thoughts, you're going to bear bad fruit. And the key behind that is that you guys are the gardener. We're gardeners. You know, we're, we're, we're doing the planting. So I would just want you to jot down at the beginning for your note takers. Just the first question you need to get your brain engaged on is this. What are you planning? Planting, I didn't say my tea good, sorry, not plant. What are you planting by what you're planting? And then what are you producing? And if you're not happy with what you're producing, maybe it's because you're not planting the right thing. Possibly because you weren't planting the right thing either. Uh, so maybe that Freudian slip works, works well. So as we, if we look at this book of joy, we've got to look at our, our, our thought life. And 15 college professors got together and they were asked to kind of, to kind of sum up their idea of what the mind attends to. And here, here's what they said. What the mind attends to, it considers. What the mind does not attend to, it dismisses. What the mind attends to continually, it believes. And what the mind believes, it eventually does. So they knew that if you could get a group of people or a person to think long enough about something, they were actually going to believe in that something. Then you can motivate them to do that something. Now that's a lot of somethings. But I hear a lot of people all the time talking about, man, I, I wish I could do something. I wish I could be like that. I wish I could do like that. I wish I could handle that situation better. I wish I, wish I didn't have to be the way I am. And I, and I hear all these thoughts all the times, and, and very rarely are we able to take a little bit of worldly wisdom uh, and, and say it's, it's pretty just and pretty true, but I think they're right. 
I think if we would change the way we think and how we think, now I'm going to show you how wrong they are a little bit later, but the, the beginning ideas were true. So if you got your Bibles, look at Philippians chapter 4. There was no, no reader today, so I'll read. Just these two verses, verses 8 and 9, and he says, Finally, brethren. Some of y'all get so happy when I say that word finally or when you read that word finally. You're like, it's over. We made it through Philippians. No, you haven't. You've still got at least two more weeks. <laughs> Maybe longer, right? What Paul's saying, though, is this. He's not saying I'm done. He's not. Maybe we, we joke about him being a Baptist pastor and saying closing like 26 times. But I don't even think it's that. I think what he's saying, he's saying, you know, finally means the rest of the things that remain. There's, there's some other things I want to throw up. There's, there's some loose ends I want, to, I want to tie together. And he's talking, remember, he's talking to a church as he's in prison, as my brother just prayed, and, or house arrest, at least we could call it. And, and he's been talking about this joy, and he's been talking about how well this church has been doing. And he even addresses just a little bit of a problem at, at the beginning of this chapter, and they get that resolved real quick. And then he says, but finally, my brother... Some things that, that I need to, need to throw in before we close up this thing. He says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate, think, ponder, consider on these things. These things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. These things that you should be doing that I've done. And the God of peace will be with you. You could, you could, the key to understanding, I guess, two verses is in the two verbs. So if you're, if you're an underliner in your Bible, look at verse eight and underline the verb meditate or your translation could have think or ponder. And then in verse nine, the verb do. Now Paul is saying this, meditate first, do second. If you do before you think you're going to get in a lot of trouble, right? If you just stole the steps from the field, that's a good confession. Right? You know, before thinking about it, it would have been a good deed, but a good deed for that would have set a bad example. So, you know, you had to meditate, you had to think on it first. And it's amazing how consistent scripture is in describing like how thoughts produce actions, what we think and, and, and what we study drives what we do. I mean, it's, it's all over scripture. For example, this, when Jesus taught on humility to his disciples, and he'd been teaching this for, for pretty much all three years he was with them, or a year and a half, however you study that timeline up. And he gets to the Last Supper, and he gets up and he washes their feet. And, and his disciples are a little bit dumbfounded, like I think a lot of us would be. And then he says this, this phrase to them, John chapter 13, verse 17. He says, if you know these things, but happy if you do them. He's taking it a step further. He's saying, look, I've been, I've been teaching and preaching and, and trying to instruct you guys for a long time on, on this act of humility. And knowing them is one thing, but taking that, into, taking that knowledge into action, that's a whole other thing. It's one thing to know I should read my Bible. It's another thing to open it up and read it. It's one thing to know I should have joy. It's another thing to express joy. It, it's one thing to know what I shouldn't do. It's another thing not to do what I shouldn't do. Right? And, and Paul does the same thing. So he says, if you know these things, happy if you, if you do them. So knowledge isn't necessarily always going to make you happy. It's the action that makes you happy. Which makes, makes a lot of sense. You think about it. You can think all day long, but you can't think yourself into happiness. Right? You've got to start doing something. Paul, he writes the book of Romans. He spends 11 chapters telling these guys what they should know. If you were with us, I don't know how long ago on a Wednesday when we, when we went through Romans. But, but he tells them, 11 chapters, he tells them like what you should think, how, what you should know, what you should think about God, what you should think about sin, what you should think about the world, what you should think about yourself. And then he gets to chapter 12. So 11 chapters talking about all the stuff that you should know. And then chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I ask you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So he's saying, you've thought about this, now you need to do that. You've thought about it, now you need to experience the, the true joy by, by doing it. The book of Ephesians, he spends three chapters. Three chapters talking about the wealth we have in Christ, who we are in Christ, great knowledge, great stuff. But then in chapter 4, therefore I beseech you, brothers, I, I urge you, walk worthy of the calling you've received. You've got all the knowledge, now walk it out. 
There's always in Scripture a relationship between knowing and then doing. There's always a relationship between doctrine and duty. There's always a relationship between living and learning. We learn and then we live it out. So if you don't learn it, you can't live it out. But you can't live out what you don't learn. So when you look around at other believers, you're like, man, I need to get to, to that level. you got to learn first. You know what I'm saying? Like your actions are, are fake if you haven't learned why you're doing them. It's why we take, think about take time when we do like the Lord's Supper or a practice like that. We, scripture gives that warning. Like don't take this in an unworthy manner. Why? Because if you don't know what this stuff represents, you're, you're basically like spitting in the face of God. You're, you're disrespecting him and, and, and what he's got and, 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 and the, the illustration that, that that moment is supposed to be as, as we partake of that stuff and, and what it means to a believer who understands it. So he tells me, he goes, learn what it is, then do it. Understand what it is, then take it in a worthy manner. You know, because if you understand it, then you want to get yourself cleaned up so that you are worthy of, of, of taking it and getting cleaned up by the, by the Lord doing the cleaning, of course, right? So I want to look at these two verses. I want to take three Three things we ought to think on, I guess you could put it that way. So three ways we ought to think. So number one is going to be carefully. you got to be careful in your thoughts. That seems kind of easy, right? Especially if you don't be careful with other things you do in life. Draw your attention to verse 8. Look at verse 8. That word at the toward the very end, at least in, in my translation, it says meditate. And here, here's the deal. Our minds, man, how many of y'all feel like your minds just go in a million different directions all week long? You bold enough to admit that? Right? I mean, you're, just, you're like a ping pong ball. You're all over the place. Like you, you don't know which way you ought to be going. You, you, you know, there's, and there's weeks like that. Some of y'all who didn't raise your hand, maybe you're on a good week. Like you're, ha, I didn't have to raise my hand this week. I did nothing but sit on the couch and be a lazy bum. God says take a nap. So that's, that's obedient. And that's, that's a way of doing it. But for the rest of us, we've got weeks where like we, we're like, we don't know what to feed the kids. We don't know what to do with our spouse. We, you know, we didn't know what to wear for an 80s outfit. We, we didn't even know what the 80s were because more than 80% of the people there probably weren't in the 80s. You know, you, get, you got all that, all that stuff just bouncing around and, and going through. And it's, it, 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 our minds, they're, they're bouncing around everywhere. These are things that come into your mind. But what scripture is talking about right here, and be careful, be careful you understand this because you're going to think about a lot of stuff. Scripture says, meditate, ponder, think deeply, concentrate on the right stuff. So it's one thing to let a thought come in. It's another thing when you dwell on that thought. Do we understand the difference? Because that, that's huge, man. Because people will hear this verse and, and they'll hear sermons on this. So like, man, I don't understand how like you could never think this. I, I'm not telling you to never. Like I'm not saying you're never going to have that thought. I'm telling you don't ponder on that thought. Don't concentrate on that thought. You know, there, there's a song, I can't think of who sings it, but they said, it's the second look that gets you. If you're a guy, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're like, man, how, how can you see a beautiful woman and not, you can look at a beautiful woman and say, man, it is amazing the Lord has created, you know, in, in a healthy way. But that second look, and then the fifth and sixth and eighth and ninth and all those looks, yeah, then the oopses come up. And that's where, and it's the same thing with, with all things in our lives. So, so we need to understand the words in scripture. So to take it a little bit further. The Greek word for this, meditate, uh, logizomio, L-O-G-I. Visitors, I'm sorry, you're, at, you're talking to a guy who can't pronounce anything in English. So when it comes to Greek and Hebrew, I'll just spell it for you. But there ain't, no, uh, there ain't no pronouncing it right, right? Here's what it sounds like, though. Logic, L-O-G-I-Z-O-M-I-A, right? Like, it sounds just like our word logically. So if we look at this and we look at what Scripture's saying as he's writing to this Greek audience, he's telling them, I want you to think logically, I want you to concentrate logically. I want you to reason logically on these principles. And I point this out at the beginning because I think this is vital for us to understand in the church. Do you realize scripture commands you to think? Amen. We, we get that. There should be more than one amen in there because we, some of us have grown up in churches, maybe even different denominations and religions and whatnot, where you're actually told not to think. I'm dead serious. If you've never experienced that, then, then God bless you. That's good for you. But there are generations across the world, denominations, religions, whatever you want to call them, right? Where they actually want their people. I don't want you to think about it. I want you to believe exactly what I say and nothing else. I want you to go home after you hear what I say and try to find fault with what I said because I know it'll make you better. Now, I pray you don't find any, but if you do, bring it back and let's study it together. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want you to think. Scripture wants you to think. Engage your mind. And when we don't engage our mind, we, we miss out on so much opportunity for growth. Look at what he says. So I'm talking about scripture or thinking being vital. Solomon, one of the wisest men, writer of Proverbs, chapter 23, verse 7. 
He says, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So if you don't think, what is you? And we're like, I'm a nothing. You got it. Right? So as a man thinks, he is. So we got to think. For, for years, for years, people have like misunderstood how good it can be to engage our brain into thinking. If you want to grow in your relationship with Scripture, if you want to grow in your relationship with, with anybody, more or less the Lord, you've got to do some thinking. You've got to do some understanding. And if you want to get deep with God, it takes that kind of thinking to do so. Now, if you're okay with your little surface level relationship, if that's what you want to call it, when you just believe what other people tell you and you never experience it on your own. But I want to go deep with God. You know what I'm saying? Like I want to learn things about him that generations before me don't even know about yet. And I want you guys to do that same kind of thing, right? So, so what you think about becomes definitely and defines who you are. I think it's why in Mark chapter 7, Jesus was talking. He talks about the, the, sum, of, the sum of your thoughts. And as he's, he's speaking to the, to the people in their lives. And, and really you can say people's lives are a product of people's thoughts. Think about it. You hang out with somebody long enough and you can tell by how they act what they generally think about. Good, bad, at least positive or negative, right? So Mark chapter 7. Jesus says this, he says, for what comes out of a man, oh, I'm sorry, for what comes out of a man that defiles him. And then he goes a little bit deeper. And I want to read it, not always, but today I want to read it in the New Living Translation. And Jesus is speaking, and, and here's what he says. He says, it's the thought of life that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, eagerness for lustful pleasure, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these vile things come from within. They are what defile you and make you unacceptable to God. Man, Pastor, that's, that's pretty negative, isn't it? It is. Sometimes it's a negative truth that gets us positive light, though. Right? Because the negative is this. That's what makes you unacceptable to God. And that's the things that you're thinking on that's coming out of you. Now, the positive is true because I tell this all the time. What is true one way in Scripture has to be true the exact opposite. So if you reverse that thing, the positive is this. You, know, you can change it up. So people's doings are the results of people's thinking, right? So understand it this way. In Isaiah chapter 18, this just proves that, and I want to make sure we understand, God commands you guys to think. Please don't fall in any of the traps where like, you're just supposed to believe and read and whatever Google says is, is right. And I love Blue Letter Bible. Man, even go deeper than that, right? So Isaiah chapter 18, verse 8, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. He says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. You know what reason means? Let us think. Could you imagine the Lord talking to you and saying, hey, come on, sit with me and let's think. Let's think together. Could you imagine like if that's what you did when you came in the, in the walls back there, right? Christians ought to be great thinkers. There's no sign back there when you came in that back door that said, check your brain here. Sit in your seat and you can pick your brain back up when you leave. <laughs> no. You bring your brain with you. You bring some notes, you bring your Bible, you, 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 you use your, your technology with your phone and tablets and whatever else you've got in here, and you grow. You exercise. We ought to be great thinkers. Maybe we're not great thinkers because too many of our brain cells are under-exercised. Right? We hadn't been thinking about stuff, right? And here, here sometimes is part of the scary part. It's because our view, especially in our culture today, our view of spirituality, we've totally made it unintellectual. Now, what I mean by that is this. We've tried to make religion mystical. Oh, you got to have this mystical feeling. You know what I'm saying? Like you got to have this mystical moment, this mystical experience. And we even have people who would tell us all the time, man, you, ju you just need to get a mystical experience and go deeper in your life. And I listen to that and I'm like, man, I, I'm okay with going deeper in my life. And I want to go deeper in my life. But I think some people who talk that way have gone off the deep end. And it gets them in trouble. You know what I'm saying? Like they haven't thought about and intellectually put this, this to, the, to their brain. So A.W. Tozer put it this way. Aimless activity is beneath the worth and dignity of a human being. The great weight of exhortation these days is in the direction of zeal and activity. Let's get going. The favorite watchword for gospel workers with the result that everyone feels ashamed to sit back and think. What he's saying is this, and we do this sometimes in the church today still. We just want to get people going. Oh, you just, you got to move. You got to go. What if people don't know where they're moving and where they're going? Are they not just going to run into walls then that do nothing for them? Am I right? You understand what I'm saying? Like, I want to make sure I'm, I'm analyzing what this goes. What this guy is saying is, is so right and so, so proper. 
But I want to make sure we get it in our terms. Like it's not just a, a go do something. It's a go do the right thing. Right? Because if you go do something, that something may lead you down to something else. That something else is something else. That it, that's a whole negative path. You got to go do the right thing. Jesus, he, as he was talking to a lawyer. I'm going to use this one in the future, by the way. My wife's in law school. Right? He said to the Lord, say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Then he says this. I love it. The very end. He said, learn of me. Learn of me. Yes, I want you to experience. I want you to love me. I do. I want you to love me with all your heart. I want you to love me with all your soul. I want you to, I want you to love me with all your mind. And as you're learning and loving me with all your mind, I want you to learn. I want you to intellectually think. I want you to logically consider. I want you to ponder of me. You ever think about that? When Je this is Jesus' command. He's telling this guy. He goes, man, you, you've got so much. These are the things I want you to do, but I want you to go even deeper. I want you to, to just sit and think about Jesus. I want you to sit and think about me. You ever, you ever have any moments where you just sit and think good thoughts about the Lord? Huh? You, you ever just have moments where you sit and think, period? Now, now some of us, and we, we did this study so you guys know, some of you women are jealous because men can sit and think about nothing. Y'all think we're being disrespectful when y'all ask us a question about, hey, baby, what you thinking about? And we say nothing. We are literally thinking about nothing. It is not a joke. I'm, yeah, wow, right? You didn't know that. Now you know, so you can better your relationship and understand. He's not being a jerk. He's not trying to not share his emotions with you. You know, he's not trying to hide anything. He is literally sitting in front of the fireplace, staring at fire burning wood, thinking about nothing. And it is great. It is. You know, can I get some amens from my men? It is a wonderful thing. To think about nothing. You women. Guys, I don't know if y'all gotten wise enough in your relationships yet. I'm going to teach y'all some tricks right here. I'm going to do it right in front of my wife so she knows. You know what I'm saying? Ain't no hiding nothing, right? She asks you what you're thinking. I'm not really thinking about anything right now, baby. What you thinking about? Who is right until. Until. I want to go there, man. I was going to say until she shares one thing and then a second thing and then a third thing and then a fourth thing and a fifth thing and a sixth thing. And by the time you get to like thing number 48, you're like, baby, you thinking about all that right now? Oh, I'm not done yet. 49 and number 50. <laughs> because you women can think about everything while us men think about nothing. Men, she's not being rude. She's not trying to take advantage of you. She's not even lying to you. She is literally thinking about 88 million things at once. And they're all connected somehow. So I want you to take a woman's brain and a man's brain, thinking about everything and thinking about nothing. And let's kind of divide those somewhere in the middle where we're thinking, but we're able to think about his thing. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I'm able to think about, man, what did, what did pastor say today that got me going? What, 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 what was it at Sunday school that that's something I can ponder later? What, what was it that I was talking to so-and-so after church and, and they mentioned this? Or what was it in so-and-so's testimony that made me just grab that one thing and ponder it? Logically expand on it. Grow in it. Work in it. I mean, just, just experience it. Learn more of it. Peter writes to the church and he says, I want you guys to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. Not just growing in grace is one thing that's great, is it not? Is it not just a good thing? To, if you've never experienced grace, you can't amen that. But if you've expanded, it's just a good thing. You get that grace and you get that mercy and you know it's yours. That's a good thing. Right? Especially when it's from a person, but man, even more so when it's from the Lord. He says, I want you to grow in that. That's what we want to grow in. But I also want you to grow in your knowledge. That means stop being satisfied with what you know and grow deeper. That's why Bible study is so important, guys. You're to grow in it. Don't be satisfied because somebody gave you a cupcake. You want the steak. Right? It should be. Hosea the prophet, he cries out. And this is what he cries out. He says, my people are perishing for a lack of knowledge. 
His people weren't perishing for a lack of zeal. We talk about, oh, you just need to get some zeal in your life. You need to get some excitement. You can get all the excitement you want about the wrong thing and go straight to hell. Right? He's saying my people perish for a lack of knowledge. It's not a lack of zeal. It's a lack of knowledge. Man, it is okay for us as Christians to get engaged, guys. We want you engaged. We want your mind fully engaged to wrestle with, to turn things around, to question, to ponder, to resolve. People talk about, man, you want your people to question what you preach? Yes! You know why? Because I care more about your growth than I care about your opinion of me. Amen. Obviously. Right? <laughs> Seriously, though, think about that. I do. And the Lord does for me. He wants you to read something and be like, I, I don't get it, God. We've made that out like it's this great sin. I, I told you guys, like, times when I've, when I've sat down with somebody, you talk about losing loved ones and all. Sit down with, with, with somebody who just lost a four-month-old and, and tell them, oh, you're not allowed to question the Lord. That's a sin. You're lying. Look how small is your God. My God's big enough to say, question me. My God's big enough to say, if you understand me, then I've got a problem. Right? Think about it. If you could understand God, how tiny would God be? He would be real tiny if I could understand him. You know what I'm saying? Like, like this big, right? Man, all of us together couldn't understand him, man. Wrestle with it. Ponder this stuff. There's a, there's a book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. Which, y'all know I don't read. But I do lose a lot of quotes from this guy. So my wife tells me this morning, she goes, ooh, you're using him? She goes, he's a great writer, but he's crazy in person. <laughs> I said, where did you meet Josh McDowell? Like, where was I at? She says, he was, he was at the banquet that we went to. And then she looked it up and he wasn't. <laughs> Keep your brain full of your law school stuff. Right? Which makes me good because he's got this quote that I think is awesome, right? He says, the heart cannot rejoice in what the mind cannot accept. The heart cannot rejoice in what the mind can. If you can't accept, how are you going to rejoice in it? Right? If you can't accept, how can you rejoice in it? This is, this is encouraging because what he's writing in this book and what he's trying to get at is, is to reason and logistically think about stuff. And, and what I love is this. When I was studying revivals in school, two, things, two, two of the main things that connected to every revival this country's ever had. One I was super passionate about years ago because I was a youth minister. They were all started by youth. Every revival was started by a youth movement. So you that help with kids and working youth and you youth themselves, you guys are what turns generations around, right? The second one that was always connected, though, was knowledge. There was always, here's how it's written. Every great revival, there's been an emphasis on biblical doctrine, theology, and exposition of the scripture. Now, I read that and I'm like, well, that makes perfect sense. The more we learn, there should be some reviving going on, right? But why does that not seem so obvious to us? Like if you if you want to revive, you got to grow, man. So to battle for your mind today, think carefully. Think logically. Meditate on these things. Here's number two. It's got to go a little deeper, right? You got to think righteously. Not just think carefully. Think righteously. I don't want you to just be careful about all the things you think about. Paul doesn't just say, I want you to think, therefore you are. He says, I want to tell you what to think about. And he goes deeper with it. Look, look at the, the six things he mentions. I want you to think about whatever things are true. Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, or some of your translations have good repute. If there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, y'all say the word anything with me. Because I know some of y'all, when you raise your hands about having your mind bounce around to all kinds of different stuff, I know sometimes you're thinking, man, there ain't a lot to be happy about this week. There ain't a lot to be happy about today. You know what I'm saying? Like, I understand that. What Paul says, though, is if you can find anything, if you can just find that one small thing, that's what I want you to think about. Because if you focus on all the other stuff, it's going to get you down a hill you don't want to go down, right? Meditate, think on these things. So he's saying, I want you to think righteously. I want you to think rightly. Anybody got a guess at how many thoughts science says? This is a neuroscientist, right? How many thoughts do you think your brain has a day? Now, we'll tell you this before you guess. Some of your thoughts you have, they don't even make it, you know, into the brainwave where you would cognitively know you had it. So how many thoughts you think your brain is shooting? Go ahead. Three million. Uh, Thirty trillion. Third, what? <laughs> I'm not calling on you anymore. You know why I'm not calling on you anymore? Because you just ruined it. You ruined the illustration because you're supposed to guess a tiny number and then I go with the big number. You messed it up. You went here. Now I got to go down here. Way to go, man. 
No revival starting with you. It's not as exciting anymore, guys. You have 70,000 thoughts a day. I thought that was huge. But evidently a trillion would have been way better. 70,000 thoughts a day. Can you imagine that? You ever think like 70,000 thoughts a day? That means in a year's time, you produce 25.5 million thoughts. That's insane. Still not a trillion, but insane. That's a lot of options bouncing around in your head, is it not? Scripture saying that Paul's writing in the inspiration of the Lord. And he's saying, I don't want you just to think. I want you to harness your thoughts. Go deeper here. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Another letter Paul himself even wrote. He says, I want you to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Take captive these thoughts. Make it obedient to Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. What is your mindset on? What crop are you planting? What are you, what are you producing? Look at this list again in verse 8. Whatever things are pure, noble, and, and he goes on. He lists six things which are basically the same thing because they're connected, right? Here, here's how you connect them if you want to sum it up, right? So the sum of your thinking is this. True things are noble. Noble things are just. Just things are pure. And pure things are lovely. Paul's point is you got to be vigilant, vigilant about what you allow into your minds. What you see. What you hear. What you take in. What you concentrate on, right? Now, some of you, you notice the word whatever. You're like, well, Paul said I can focus on whatever. He said it six times. <laughs> right? Now, I'm not going to lie. Whatever caught my attention. When the same word is written six times, it gets your attention. But Paul didn't tell you to think about whatever. Right? Paul's saying of all the 70,000 thoughts bouncing around your brain constantly, I want you to, to scale all of those possible thoughts that come into your head, and I want you to find those ones that fit into these categories. Not just thinking about whatever, but thinking about whatever is. Noble, whatever is right, whatever is just. And he even tells him in verse 9, he says, these are the things you've been learning and receiving because these are the things you saw me do. And, and I think Paul did these things and was able to do these things because of scripture that he had studied. Because he gets this idea, this isn't like a new idea he's got, by the way. Let me read Psalm 19 from you, just a little bit of it. I think this is where Paul got his word, right? I'm beginning uh, verse 7, Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are just and right, rejoicing in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now, doesn't that sound like a lot of the same words? Paul got this from Scripture. The best way to prove Scripture is with more Scripture. Right? And Paul was bathed in Scripture, so he knew it. He said, whatever, whatever things are, are true. You realize one of the greatest properties or, or attributes of God is truth. Remember Jesus, what, what, what he spoke to him, he said, he said, what? I am the way, I am the truth, and I'm the life. When, he, when he's in the garden and he's praying, what does he pray to his father? He says, Father, sanctify them by your truth. It, it's your truth. So God specializes in truth. And he says, I, I, my word is bathed in truth, Right? Now, we live in a world where, where people don't believe there's absolute truth anymore. Right? What, what do we tell people? Well, whatever feels good to you is what's right for you. That's the dumbest advice anybody can give you. You know, all the trouble I ever got in was because I did what felt good. Huh? If it didn't feel good, I wouldn't have been doing it, right? Think about that. How true that is, right? So, so, so right here with truth, is going to expose all kind of our thinking, both the right and the wrong. But our society tells us what feelings trump truth. Think about it. Well, we use this phrase all the time when we're trying to deal with somebody who's hurt. What we tell them, well, what is your heart telling you? And then we follow through with the second dumbest phrase ever. We'll just follow your heart. Well, scripture says your heart is evil and deceitful above everything else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know what he's writing and saying? He's saying that your heart is so full of the emotions because of the corrupted world you live in. If you follow it, you don't even know where you're going to be going next. Because that's how quick it changes and, and shifts and, and jumps around. Right? It's, a, it's desperately wicked who can know it. If you're driven by emotional feelings, well, then you're going to have some temporary good moments. And then you're going to have some crazy moments right afterwards. 
And then you're going to have some painful moments. And then the, Satan's going to be able to fill your head with all this other stuff. So we gotta, if we're going to focus on truth, it's got to be God's truth. Absolute truth. His word, right? Then it says whatever things are noble. I love this word, man. Noble. And you know what noble means? Noble means worthy of respect. Dignified. Worthy of awe. You ever, you ever look at another believer or somebody and just be in awe of their relationship with the Lord? You know what I'm saying? Like you hear them say something and you're just like, oh. man, I've done it already multiple times with some of you guys when you share your testimonies. I'm like, it's like, oh man, like you lived through that. You, you suffered through that and you survived it and you came out on the other end on top. Sometimes I'll sit down with somebody who's going through like probably some of the worst moments of their life. And there'll just be that one moment where it's, it's just that noble act where they're telling me something. And I'm like, oh, that, that's it. Worthy of respect, dignified, worthy of all. That's, that's what noble means, right? Scripture shows us how to, how to walk this path too, by the way. Right? You know what's right and what's wrong. Why? Because David says in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If you want to know how to walk in a dignified way, a worthy of all way, follow the light. And let this be the light, not the world's flashlight, right? What about the word pure? It means wholesome. It's the opposite of filthy. Are you happy with your thoughts? Or would you describe them as filthy? David said, how shall a young man keep his ways pure? Now think about this. I want you to understand when David's writing this. David described as the only man in scripture as a man after God's own heart. Right? So, so we know he's, he's sold out as much as he can be. Yeah, what was the one thing that made David stumble so many times? Lust. Lust. Go back to the very beginning with the song. He saw that woman. Man, he could have turned away and been like, beautiful creation, Lord. Good job. <laughs> right? <laughs> it went about his way. But it says that he saw her and then he went back and looked again. So the second glance and then the third glance, he began to think about it. I wonder if I invite her over. I wonder if I invite her over while everybody else is gone. What could happen then? And then he probably had a lot of mm-hmm's because that was the thoughts that was kicking in his brain, right? And he got him in trouble. That led him into killing somebody. That led him into lying to the whole nation. That led him into a downward spiral. So this is the guy who's writing and this is what he says. And it's probably in this moment, by the way, we don't know the exact timeline, but it's probably this moment where he says, how shall a young man keep his way pure, God? If, if I'm somebody you're describing as somebody who's after your heart, how in the world am I going to keep that fill out of my head? And then he answers his own question. By taking heed according to your word. It's your word, Father, that gives purity. What he's saying is every time you, you had that look, you should have went and picked up a Bible. I know they didn't have a Bible, so he should have picked up his scroll. Right? He should have, should have grabbed the, the Torah out of the, the cabinet and started reading it. Right? Like, like that's what he should have did. He's saying, right? Do you realize that? The only thing we're commanded, we're not supposed to be on purity, but the only thing you're commanded to run from is that? You know why that is? You ever think about why? My men know why. There's no defense, but why? That's a God-given passion. Think about it. When he created a man and woman, right? And then they realized they were naked, right? Scripture says what? It says, boom, Adam was hooked, right? It says she got him. Right? So God says, look, you can't handle a desire that I put in your heart. So you have to handle it healthy. He's saying you can't combat it. Understand that, men. I wasn't supposed to be in there. I'm going to tell you right now. You can't fight lustful thoughts on your own. I promise you, you can't. Because you ain't bad enough to fight what the Lord put inside of you. Right? Now, he didn't put the lustful thoughts. I got corrupted through the world. But he put that desire for a woman inside of you. I promise you. Right? For right reasons. He says that in scripture. Right? Under right ways. So you can't fight that. So what does he say? He says, if there's nothing else to do, you run. Second Timothy 2.22. What did he tell the young pastor? Right? Uh, Timothy is a young pastor, man. Probably like 20 years old. And, and, and he said, man, I need some advice. Paul and Paul says, if you get youthful lust, you flee. You know what Timothy's probably thinking? He's like, hold on, man. I don't run from no fight. Like, what you say? He said, brother, you run. You can't fight it. You just you you pull a, a Joseph runner from Potiphar's wife, leave your cloak behind, and just strip through the city naked if you got to. But you get away from that sin, right? And you get away from it. Take a baseball bat to your TV, throw your phone in the trash can, huh? I got a, I, I got somebody I know right now. They got rid of their smartphone because they couldn't handle stuff. and got them a flip phone. Can you imagine going back to a flip phone, huh? <laughs> Does it, hold on, what's wrong? Does anybody other than him 
not have a smartphone in this church. That's what's wrong with that. <laughs> but is it not worthy? Is it not worthy to stay away from it? I'd rather not be cool for a moment to be right with the Lord. Huh? Can't handle the, the app on your TV? Get rid of it. Man, get your wife to put child locks on that joker if you need it. You laugh. I'm serious. Ain't no need to fight something you ain't. You can't fight on your own. Women, you be understanding of him. That's a fight. That's, that's something that the, that's a desire he's got that was put in by the Lord that got corrupted from the world. Yes. But man, help him recover if he wants to recover from it. You know what I'm saying? Strengthen it up. Be with him. I don't even know where I was going on all that. That's a free one for you guys. You got two today. Right? Where am I at? Good Lord. David. David says, your word will keep me pure. The guy who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, John, John Bunyan, he, he says this. And he's, he, he dies, by the way, in jail by his faith. I don't know if you guys know his story. Really, really cool martyr for the faith. And when they found him dead in jail from his faith and, and his Bible, he had in the, in the cover of it, or the first little flap, whatever you call that thing, he had this written. He said, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Yeah. Yeah, right? The Bible has the ability to keep you pure. You want to be pure? <laughs> Bathe yourself in the word. Right? This book will keep you from sin or... Your sin will keep you from this book. Which way is it going to be? Which way is it going to be for you, right? I talk sometimes Bible with people who I know don't believe. And they'll, they'll use this phrase sometimes. Well, you know the Bible contradicts itself. That, I love it. I love it. because If any of you guys are scared, by the way, when you hear that, you're like, yeah, but there's been some stuff sometime, Pastor. I don't know. Here's all you got to do. Because I promise you 90%. Of the brothers and sisters that come out with you with that, that quote right there. Here's what you follow through. Oh yeah, show me where. <laughs> and be genuine about it. Because I promise you 90% of them, they ain't got a clue. They ain't took enough time to study it and check it out. Because I've done it before and here's what I get. Well, I don't know exactly where, but I just know it does. <laughs> so I say, hold on. You don't want to believe this book because it contradicts itself. Yet you don't even know where it contradicts itself. Just, just, all you, you ain't, you ain't got to know no biblical knowledge to argue with them. I'm arguing this guy's already turned around. Well, no, but. So I throw it in. As soon, as soon as you got him thinking, you throw it in. How about you study the book and when you find something that contradicts itself, you bring it to me. Well, I'm going to do that. Now, I'm also wise enough to know 90% of them probably don't go do that either. But the 10% that do. I'll argue with them all day long for it. Right? I'll try to grow them all day long for the 10% that will. Right? Because it's worth that. It's worth that. And if you get that one knucklehead, you just tell them. Well, you, the Bible don't contradict itself. The Bible contradicts you. Right? It does. Maybe you won't read it because it contradicts your moral behavior. Mark Twain, another smart guy, right? He said, he said this is truth right here. He said, it's not the things I don't understand in the Bible that bother me. It's the things I do understand that bother me. That's somebody who's willing to grow. You know what I'm saying? That's somebody who's willing to grow. It ain't the, stuff, the stuff you don't understand can't bother you because you don't understand it. It's the things you do understand that bother you. Paul says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, lovely, good repute, meditate on these things. You know, in, in studying just a little this week for... The next phase of conversation with my boys as well as the stuff right here. Not only do you have 70,000 thoughts a day, it says that the average person is introduced to 5,000 ads a day. 5,000 ads. Mm -hmm. They think that you, it pops up on your phone when you're, even when you scroll through Facebook, now you have ads. You know, if you go to one website, you can tell what I look up. I'm reading scripture yesterday, by the way, and on the, on the computer and all around my page of scripture is rough country stuff, right? <laughs> This lift and that tire and this bumper and that light. And like, well, it's better what it could have been around her years ago, right? <laughs> so think about that. How good is that, right? But, but, but that's the ads. They pop up all the time. If you're watching a YouTube video, it pops up in between. You get that ad. It, it, you know, whatever it is, it's all around. 5,000. <laughs> the most invested companies in the world spend their money on advertising. You know why? 
What, what is an advertiser's job? What is it? Create demand. I'm going to read it straight off one of their pages, right? Your job as an ad is to influence the way a person thinks about a product and hope to motivate the person to buy the product. You want to influence them in a way where they want to pull out their wallet immediately. When I first read that, what came to my mind is this. An ad wants you to invest in something. Right? So what are you investing in? Are you happy with what you're investing in? Is what you're investing in pure, lovely, noble, right, correct? And as I transition from that, here, here's why I really love it. Because to invest in something, you've got to think carefully, logically, however you wrote it down. You've got to think righteously. And the third thing, you've got to think actively. Think, concentrate, logic, about the right stuff. And don't stop there. Because then it should move you to be active. Your thoughts produce activity, right? Here's verse 9. I can say last verse because it is. <laughs> last verse of this letter. Verse 9. These things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, do these things and the God of peace will be with you. Thoughts lead to deeds. Right? Now I understand some of us are walking at different levels and that's alright. But if you ain't made it to where your thoughts are now influencing your actions, there's a problem. That's what scripture says. Right? Two main verbs. What did we say? Verse 8, to meditate, to think, to ponder. Verse 9, to do. This is a command, by the way, guys. The language that's used here. He says, I'm commanding you to keep on practicing and to keep on doing. You say, man, Paul, you know, we've talked a lot about each of these things, especially in chapter 4, being command-type verbs and command-type words in the original language. Why is he so strong with this? Because I think Paul knows you can never separate the thought life from an outward life. And I think in knowing that, he knows that inward thoughts... Uh, Directly affect outward action. What we ponder is what we're going to practice, right? What we think we're going to do. What we learn, we're going to live. And that's the hope for any pastor, Bible teacher, disciple at all level. It's to get you to ponder something enough that it influences the way you think, that then it influences the way you live. Right? And if we don't make it to all three, then, then we hadn't, hadn't got there yet, right? Believe it, then do it. That's graduation, man. Paul writes Galatians chapter 4 to, a, to another church. Maybe a little bit more mixed emotions versus Corinthians and, and Philippians. But, but, but it's another church that's doing pretty decent. And he says, I, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you guys again. And they'll continue until Christ is fully developed in your life. We've created a lie telling people that prayer, that moment of baptism or that that moment of what we call getting saved or whatever mumbo jumbo religious crap we throw out there to make it sound good. Like we, we've created a lie like that's it. Well, that's it. You made it there. No, that's the beginning. Amen. Like you've just started where you're supposed to be going. Right. Listen to people's testimonies, man. What, 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 what they we have testimonies who come from that moment into the later moments. You know, everybody's like, wow, you know, it, I don't understand how to, how, to, how to paint it this way. Just paint a picture of your life. One moment. And think about what God's done in that moment. And if you're growing in the right direction, you, you've constantly got moments where he's growing in you and working in you. And, and, and Paul says this, right? He says, these are the things you've learned and you saw in me. Which I think is really cool, right? Because he's telling them, like, I, I've created an example for you guys. I, I want you to follow this example. Not that I'm perfect. But that I'm creating an example for you, right? I want you to, to hear it all. Because here's what Paul really knows. You can learn something, but not really receive it. Y'all with me on that? I thought about the kids as they study and Crystal as she studies. And then I thought about how I used to study. And I confess to you guys. I studied the night before until I fell asleep on the bed. <laughs> And then I'd get up in the morning and, and read as much as I could. And I would pull, we were joking about it last night. I'd pull that stepbrother thing, take as many pictures as I could to try to get that <laughs> photographic memory going. And hope. I even slept on a book one night, to be honest with you guys. Now, I know osmosis ain't a real thing, but I tried it. You know, so I can tell you it's not a real thing, right? But, but these are the things I've done. And I'd make pretty decent grades. I got through, right? But as I was thinking, Paxton tells me all the time, he goes, Dad, I know more about science than you know. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> Because I learned it for a moment and he's receiving it for a lifetime. You understand the difference? You can learn a lot of stuff and not receive anything. 
Guys, that's a huge difference. And I was dumb enough to do it with school, but man, let's, let's please not be foolish enough to do it with scripture. Don't memorize something to memorize something. You know what I'm saying? It's one of the reasons why, and I, I hate to even tell you this as a pastor, but it's one of the reasons like I almost don't want to promote memorizing verses. Because you focus so much on making sure you got the book and the chapter and the number of the verse before you ever even worry about getting the words of the verse. You understand that? The difference? Now, if you learn in the words, amen. I don't care where it came from as long as it come from here. Right? Is that not the way the Lord would have wanted it? The words being more important than some numbers that we put in in the 1500s? I hope you all realize that. We added all the numbers, by the way. So they're really not as important as you make them out to be. Huh? You can receive something, but not really even hear it at all. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. And the graduation moment, that's what comes when, when, you, when you say, you know what? I've attended to it. I've listened to it. I've exposed myself to it. I'm believing in it. Now I'm going to put it on and practice it. Are you putting on and practicing the things that we're getting in here? Because here's probably the greatest warning you can get. You can hear truth. And if you don't come, come to a determination to practice truth, the more often you do that, the more your heart gets callous to it. Oh, that was a good saying. Oh, that was a good phrase. Oh, that was kind of funny. Your heart becomes callous to what the truth is behind it, right? You can be very good at hearing truth and immediately dismissing it or, or, or just or, uh, uh, minimizing it, not allowing it to penetrate the heart and the dangers that come behind that. You come effectively... It's almost why we why we have. I wrote it down this way first to tell you guys. To be honest, right? I said we, we we've got the unchurched in the church, but no, we don't. We've got churched unbelievers. I had to go back and rewrite it, rephrase it. Churched unbelievers. We got people sitting in church every week that don't believe what's been. The truth hasn't penetrated their heart. That's why James said, "Be doers of the word, not hearers only." That's why a little bit later he said, it's like if you, if you listen and don't obey, it's like looking at your face in a mirror and not doing nothing to improve your appearance, but see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. Anybody know who William Penn is? Do you really? I didn't know who he was. He was on a whole other site. I don't know when he's supposed to be on the site I was on. Not that kind of site, but you know what I'm saying? Like a good site, right? William Penn was a guy who, who, who founded Pennsylvania, basically. Here's how it started, though. I didn't know this story. Here's really cool, right? So Penn was told by one of the um, chiefs of, the, of the, the Indian village next to him. He says, I'll give you whatever you can walk around and mark in one day. Now, you hear that. And you're like, oh, okay. So next day, William Penn sent out one of his young men at daybreak with a map to walk around until the sunset. He came back. He had circled 40 miles had his map, made all his markers along the, the thing and all this right here. Went to the chief of the Delaware Indians. The chief says, man, I'm shocked that you actually did it. Wow. But I'm a man of my word. I am noble. And I will give you the 40 miles that you've circled. That area is now called or part of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, right? I read that, though. And here, like I said, it wasn't even on anything to do with that. And then it hit me. What if William Penn had just listened to the chief at the first meeting. That sounded good. What if he'd even, I know some of you guys take notes. What if he jotted it down? Oh, that's a good one. What if he'd amen it or hallelujah it? But never walked it out. It had nothing. But because he was willing to walk, right? Because he was willing to say, I'm going to walk it out. He got 40 miles. He got part of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I read that and I'm sitting here thinking, how many of the promises of God lay in these pages that you and I might have heard? We might have liked, we might have highlighted, we might have amen and hallelujah. But we haven't walked it out. We haven't gone all in. We haven't carefully, righteously, and now actively begin to seek out these things, right? Paul says, follow my example, not because I'm perfect, but because I follow the Lord. You know, that's how he says it later in one of his other letters, which I love that follow through, man. He's saying, you can follow me, but, but he's so open. He says, you can only follow me because I'm following the Lord. You're writing a gospel every single day of your life, guys, as church people. You're, you're writing a chapter every day. The things you do, the words you say, what people hear, what people see, that's your gospel. Tell you, what is people seeing in the gospel that you're, you're writing out, Right. What are you living out? What are you walking out? What are people, what impression of God do people get when they look at you? Y'all realize there's, there's all the translations of the scripture people don't even know about? 
I got the NPV, the new Philip version, right? <laughs> he got the NCV, the new Cliff version, right? She got the NNV, the new Nicole version, right? We, we got different versions of the Bible that are being printed all the time. Why? Because it's our lives that are being walked out and watched. We are living letters. That's what, that's kind of how Paul writes it to the Corinthians chapter three of second Corinthians. He says, you are an epistle known and read by all men. Take this truth and live it out. Become some kind of an example for others to watch and see. And in the very last part of that verse, I wonder how many unchurched people look at us and either get hungry or get disgusted by what they see. If they see this last part, though, they get hungry, right? At the end, here's what he adds, and don't miss it. He said, if you do this, the peace of God will be with you. The peace of God will be with you. It's the crowning achievement of good, godly, right thinking and right leaving. The peace of God being with you. Seven. You know, you remember verse seven? I know it's only been a week, right? Verse seven says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. Now, now he's transitioning. He's saying, and it's the peace of God that's going to be with you to do so. When you have peace in a horrible moment and you don't understand it, it's because the peace of God is there. He's with you. Right? It's because he's close. It's because he's intimate with you. Right? You're thinking godly thoughts. You're living godly lives. You're feeling godly peace. He's with you. I want you guys to evaluate your thoughts this week. Evaluate them. Just, just be open and honest about them, right? Evaluate the content of, of what you're thinking on. We fill our minds with what we watch on TV most of the time. I told you guys, I was checking out stuff for future conversations with my boys, right? That, that led to this, right? You realize an American adolescent will see up to 14,000 sec- sexual references a year? Now, you don't have to, mm, because it don't mean they all bad. But that's just how many references they'll see. So then my question then is this, and I wrote it down, right? 14,000 sexual references a year. How many are righteous and holy matrimony relationships? How many? What do your kids see at the house? Huh? What are you seeing? They see good or they see bad? It goes even deeper than that. If you had ain't your cup of tea, by the age of 18, it says there'll be 20,000 violent acts they witness. 20,000 violent acts. <coughs> that one stepped on my toes because we'll watch some bad movies sometime. <laughs> 16,000 murders. I think we ought to start evaluating the content that we put into our brain. Next one for practicate. Practicality, however that word goes, right? Not only should you be evaluating, you should be interrupting. Interrupt your day with truth. Start your day with truth. Interrupt your sleep with truth. Get up, read scripture. Right? Interrupt the action before you go to bed. Back with more truth. Interrupt it. Bathe it with scripture, man. Eat up some scripture, right? In the morning, read. Instead of closing out the day with whatever junk's on TV, read the, Lord, read the word of the Lord. I don't care if it's one song. I don't care if it's one verse. Read. Listen to something while you brush your teeth. Right? Evaluate, interrupt, and then meditate. Now, I love one thing else. I do want to close with this right here for real. When I, when I say meditate, I don't mean that like little dude sitting with his legs crossed and you know he's got that weird little finger pose and he's got that weird hum going. Um, right? That ain't what I'm talking about. Because that kind of meditation is to disengage your brain. What are we talking about when we say meditation? To think logically and concern for something, Right? So meditate in scripture, the word actually means what? You read it, but you don't just read it. You feed on it. You ponder it. You take emphasis, you take emphasis on it and emphasize the thoughts on it. You carry it with you everywhere you go. It's impossible to go through your day without having some bad thoughts, some interrupting moments, the ideas of the world. So I want to ask you, how are you going to actively plan to manage your thought life? Some of you have already thought about this, so you know. You're like, well, I know how I manage and, and think on mine. God bless you. Good for you. Share it with somebody else who needs it. Some of you are thinking, man, I don't know. I don't even really think about what I think about. <laughs> Maybe it's time to change that. Maybe it's time today to develop some sort of plan where you can start influencing your brain in the right direction because whatever it is you think about, it is going to create in you who you're going to be and how you're going to act in the real world and people watch. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the 
The good soft truths, Lord God, and the good hard truths. Lord, I just pray right now, God, as, as we sit intimately with our hearts open, Lord God, with our brains open, God, I pray that you come in and you do something special, Lord. God, you do something I can't do with just speaking words, Lord God. God, you, you speak to that heart and that brain in an intimate way, Lord God. God, help us to develop plans to think better, to act better, to care more, to be pure, lovely, noble, right, just. Father God, I pray that when we're not, Lord God, that you let us see the red flag before it goes too far. Help us catch ourselves early, Lord God. God, keep us strong. Come inside your believers, Lord God, and strengthen us against the lies of the world all around us. God, some of us just hear negative thoughts from people and what they think about us. God, help us to think about what you think about us before we think about what they think about us. God, help us to understand like you told us last week, Lord God. God, we're not called to follow men or follow church. We're called to follow you. Amen. Let us lose our faith in man, Lord God. Let us increase our faith in you. Let us deepen our relationship in our most intimate moments, Lord. And God, grow us. Help us write our gospel chapters daily for a world to read and for you to be pleased with what they read. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.